Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Today, we're here with Dr. Steven Steinhubbel, who will be reflecting on a digital, pragmatic, direct-to-participant clinical trial for identifying undiagnosed atrial fibrillation in a large health plan population. Welcome, Stephen. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin by having you tell us a little bit about your study. Well, the study, which we called MSTOPS, which is M Health Screening to uh, Prevent Strokes, was uh, initiated by an early conversation over five years ago with Aetna around, okay, how can we do a trial together, reaching out to our members across the nation that can help decrease the risk of stroke. And and so after much discussion and planning, and we said, okay, well, we're screening for atrial fibrillation, undiagnosed atrial fibrillation would uh, potentially be very valuable doing that. And and once we kind of decided, okay, this is this is the problem that we're going to try to address, and then we um, kind of a, our our team, which is has behavioral scientists and clinical researchers and and um, um, big data an- analytics, worked with the Aetna team um, to kind of flush out a trial that was designed to be digital by its very nature, so that outreach would be digital to Aetna members. Um, and uh, that uh, for individuals who uh, consented that they would wear a um, ECG patch um, and after you know looked at many different solutions for best monitoring we decided that the iRhythm Zio which provides up to two weeks of continuous ECG monitoring would be what we use and um, and then um, and then committed to returning those results to the participants. So we really wanted it to be a trial that answered the question about um, screening for atrial fibrillation, um, how, how effective is a strategy of, of an ECG patch at doing that, but designing it in a digital and patient-centric way that provided results that um, we, we were hoping were prag- would be pragmatic enough where Aetna or other large healthcare payers could say, okay, we want to implement this, or we want to implement this part of what you learned or refine this part of it, but that there would be truly real world results. That's great. And, and can you kind of summarize what you found? Well, there were two trials kind of built into there. We wanted one show that we could do a prospective randomized trial within the the um, health plan. And so there was a four month um, uh, primary endpoint that looked at um, consented individuals who agreed uh, to be active monitoring and they were randomized to either immediate monitoring with the ECG patch or delayed by four months. So the primary endpoint was looking at the rate of AFib diagnosis in the actively monitored versus, or the immediately monitored versus delayed. And we found a ninefold increase in the diagnosis of atrial fibrillation in in the um, immediate monitoring cohort. We then combined that cohort into one, those two groups, the immediate and delayed monitoring into one actively monitored cohort and compared their outcomes at one year relative to age 
sex and Chad's vast score matched uh, observational controls. And then in, in that group out to a year found a threefold um, increase in the rate of diagnosis of, of atrial fibrillation in the actively monitored um, uh, relative to the observational controls and associated with that an increased use of anticoagulants, but is also an increased uh, utilization of, of things like cardiology outpatient visits, primary care visits. But interestingly, but just not a pre-specified endpoint, we also saw a significant decrease in hospitalization and ER visits for those who were actively monitored. Good, good. Thanks. Thanks. That's It's always helpful to, to have that before we dive into some other, other uh questions that I have. And one um, is specifically around the nature of the pragmatic, um, the pragmatic study or that, that aspect. Um, in the collaboratory, we often think uh, pragmatic is, is another way of saying lots of unexpected surprises along the way. So I'd love for you to maybe touch on what, what you learned and um, in particular, aspects that you um, designed to be pragmatic, but maybe learned along the way that, that pragmatic wasn't wasn't quite that. <laughs> it's a great question. And the podcast, we don't have enough time to go over everything that didn't turn out or that were surprises. But I love your definition of pragmatic. And that's very much the case. But I honestly think clinical care is like that and all the variation in it. So I'll, I'll start with what, you know, what we kind of knew would have the most variability, but I was still a little bit surprised by. And that was, so there were no physicians involved in the in the study in the sense of, you know, a, um, a multiple cohorts or, or, or healthcare systems being involved. Everything was direct to the participant. And when the participants got their results, especially those who had new diagnoses of atrial fibrillation or, or any other actionable things, when we um, discussed those results with the participant, we always asked um, for their permission to share the results with their practitioner and um, and then get the their practitioners, whether it be, a, for most people, it was a primary care doctor for a very small number of cardiologists. And then we sent them their results. And, um, and when you look at it, there was incredible variability then among the different practitioners. <laughs> practitioners, which we didn't account for, and there are things I would do differently to maybe help guide the, maybe provide a little bit more clinical decision support. But what was most surprising to me is that um, the percentage of individuals who were started on anticoagulation with the diagnosis of atrial fibrillation um, in the actively monitored cohort was a little bit less than 50%, which was not nearly as surprising to me as the fact that in the observational control cohort, so pure clinical diagnosis of atrial fibrillation, it was also about 50%. And and I have, a, and the average age in M-STOPs was about uh, 74. Our mean uh, CHADS, or I'm sorry, median chads vast score was three. So it's a group that you know should have had a higher rate of anticoagulation than 50%, but that was real world and and uh, it was surprising and maybe disappointing overall but that's just the reality of of what real world practice is and i think you know if we were to do it over again there are a lot of things i would try to do to to uh, try to um, change that to provide maybe an easier decision tree for the providers uh, looking at at, at results um 
the other big lesson, and, and this shouldn't have been as, as, as big a surprise to me. Uh, apparently, I, I thought it was a surprise when we were designing the trial and didn't think of it as um, I, I very unrealistically assumed that once individuals consented and then remember many, some of them were delayed to get the patch for four months. And as an older population, some were snowbirds who were living in different locations. But um, it ended up about a third of people in the active monitor cohort were sent a patch and never wore it. And, um, and to me, that was really a, a uh, um, failure in design. Um, maybe it's, it is pragmatic. So if Aetna was going to send out a screening and the people said, sure, I'll wear it, and then they end up not wearing it, that's good to know. But um, that's a, that, that is something that um, you know, I know that uh, I should have and we can do better by just reminding people and reaching out to people and being more proactive in when we know that the patch was being sent out to remind people to wear it and the importance of wearing it. And, and I think that we would have had a much uh, um, higher um, rate of individuals uh, successfully wearing their patch. Yeah, yeah. No, those are those are good, strong lessons, I think, uh, to, to highlight there. Um, you know, the the uh, level of participant engagement or the focus on participant engagement is also noteworthy in this study. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you approach that, um, how you identified um, uh, participants for engagement kinds of activities. Yeah, um, and there, there are. If I break down engagement in three different areas, I feel really good about two of them, or I feel okay about two of them, and I feel less okay about uh, the third one. And I'll start from the very beginning. So one of the things I would put in the category of a surprise, what I found to be very valuable to us, is working with the Aetna team, um, who who really have many full time employees whose job is to know their members, to reach out to their members in a very customer-centric way, which is, I think, different than what we do in healthcare, you know, so they were very helpful to us in in helping, um, you know, as we discussed the message and the outreach, because really the beginning of the engagement was... Um, you know, trying to tell people a story about the study and, and again, doing it digitally, um, which has some really good and, and some challenges to it. But, you know, you know that when somebody signed up, they were going to actually read it and understand it. And so in, inviting them to be part of the study, but without in, for lack of a better word, freaking them out that, oh my God, my insurance company is writing me and tell me I'm at risk for AFib. What should I do? And um, and so refining that messaging by working with people who have a lot of experience and a lot of history of communications to healthcare, uh, communications, healthcare related communications uh, was very helpful to us. And, and so in our engagement strategy, we tried multiple different kind of uh, personas, individuals who were um, altruistic uh, individuals, and and these are kind of fictional individuals where we tested altruistic messaging, uh, (coughs) tech messaging, gee, do you want to, are you excited about the new tech? Um, Another messaging was, you know, learn more about yourself by wearing an ECG patch and, um, or, you know, using the gadgets. And, and so we were able to refine uh, those messaging and, and um, with the eventual goal of trying, we weren't able to do it in this study, but as we go forward from lessons learned is better individualized um, because in a perfect world, you'd want to reach out with an altruistic people to people who would join altruistic 
altruistically and you'd want to reach out with a uh, learn more about yourself message to the individuals who would be interested in learning more about themselves. And we have to figure out ways to prospectively identify that. Um, the, the part where I think we fell short on engagement that if we had the chance to do it over again, as I already mentioned in the middle part of it. So after they enrolled, um, kind of in that while they're waiting to get their patch, maybe when they're uh, got their um, <coughs> immediately after their patch, just, you know, a thank you. Did you have any questions or any, you know, those things? I think uh, I if I do it over again, I, I wish we would have had a very light touch engagement um, during that period, um, both for the reasons of wearing the patch or just uh, making sure we that people didn't feel like, oh, I wore the patch. Now I'm done. You're done with me kind of uh, feeling. Um, the third part of engagement that I'm, I'm happy with, but we could certainly improve, was returning results to the participants. Um, we told everybody at the beginning you get the results, but I heard from so many participants who, you know, a lot had participated in clinical trials before. They had no expectation, actually, that we meant we were going to give them back their individual information. And they were, everybody who at least contacted me was saying how exciting that was, how much they really appreciated that, and how it made them want to participate in future clinical trials. Oh, yeah, thank you. That's that's great, and I like the way that you've um, you divided those into those three uh, three buckets. That's that's really helpful to think to think about. Um, Stephen, I I want to thank you again for joining us today for Grand Rounds and for joining me today for this for this podcast. Um, Please join us for our next podcast as we continue to highlight fascinating and informative changes in the research world. Again, Stephen, thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.